Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Daybreak family and to those of you who are with us today as guests. Glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Today, uh, we're continuing in the book of Philippians. This is actually just our second week, but we're talking about uh, in Philippians chapter one, Paul specifically addresses this topic of how do we find joy in the midst of life's crazy circumstances that happen to us. Uh, how are we able to do that? So I want to get started today by asking which of these circumstances do you think would have the most potential to bring joy into your life? All right. So this isn't on the screen, so you just got to kind of stay with me for a minute. The first circumstance would be this, an unexpected inheritance of $7 million. The second is an unexpected tornado coming through your neighborhood. The third is the unexpected loss of a job. And the fourth is an unexpected pregnancy. Which of those do you think would have the potential for creating joy in your life? Well, the correct answer, at least according to Scripture, is all of them. Now, if most of you had a remote control right now and you were at home, you'd just say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me go to another channel, switch him off, because I'm signing up for the seven million, right? The seven million inheritance seems like that would be uh, the big winner in that uh, particular question. Well, today we're going to talk about how real joy actually comes into our lives. And I want to begin by helping us understand where joy really comes from. How does joy, um, where does it originate from in our lives? And it's not perfect circumstances. Even though most of us would really love to believe that if we could control the circumstances in our life, if we could have control over what happens to us in the day-to-day -day and, and what impacts us, that that would be where we would find the source of true joy. But the truth is there uh, is no such thing as circumstance, perfect circumstances in, in any of our lives. And uh, if joy, if finding joy is, comes from perfect circumstances, you and I are all doomed to a life without joy. So we don't want to try to act that way or be unaware of where joy really comes from. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from our relationship with God. And that's what we're going to learn from Paul today. Uh, Paul, who walked with Jesus, who followed Jesus, uh, is very clear in helping us understand where joy originates from. So I'm going to say that again, and then I want you to say it with me. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances, but from our relationship with God. Let's say that together. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances, but from our relationship with God. One more time. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances, but from our relationship with God. All right, now somebody can close in prayer, because we've got it. You are all with me. That's good. That's what we're looking at today. And really, when we look at Scripture, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the work that happens in us when God's Spirit indwells us, is what creates things like, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. What's the second one? Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. These things like joy, it's the work of God in us. It's the work of God's spirit in us that creates a true sense of joy in us. Joy comes from intentionally trusting that God is behind the scenes working his loving desires out through in and through our lives. And in my relationship with Jesus, this changes everything. When I recognize and I live my life in such a way that I remember he is my source, he is the source of these things, it does truly change the way that I live. But there's this common misconception about joy uh, that I think people have and, and even Christians have, and that's that joy is really this set of happy circumstances. But they kind of know that can't be quite right. But in their heart, they might believe that there is really a joy meter, and when good things happen, the joy meter kind of spikes a little bit, you know, in a good way, and when bad things happen, then, you know, the joy meter goes down the other direction. But here's the real fallacy when it comes to that line of thinking, and that's that we all know people who have the greatest situation that you perceive that life could offer, but they have a terrible disposition. <laughs> Anybody know people like that? Like, their circumstances seem to be going great, and yet there's no joy evident in their life at all. Then you know someone, on the other hand, who has gone through tragedy after tragedy in their lives, and you look at them, and there's this genuine smile on their face that comes from somewhere deep down within, and it's authentic, and it's real, because they know what it means to have joy in spite of their circumstances. They're able to see good things in ways that brings jo bring joy into their life in spite of what they might be walking through. So obviously joy is not just a function of our circumstances. But when our circumstances go sideways, the thing we're going to be looking at today is do we lose our ability to discover joy? Is it possible to discover joy and true delight in the detours of our lives? 
Well, it all depends on how we view those circumstances. And this is important because as Christians, we have confidence in a plan that our loving Heavenly Father has to work behind the scenes in our lives. And we also have confidence because of what Scripture tells us that Jesus is actually interceding for us. He's going before the Father on our behalf to bring the hurts and the pains and the situations of our life before God the Father. We have a Heavenly Father who cares for us. He's working behind the scenes. And Jesus, his Son, is interceding for us on our behalf to the Father. It's really an amazing picture. So joy isn't found in our circumstances, but it's found in our relationship with God. Now, today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, and originally I was going to read all of that to you, but there's so much in there that I think it would be actually a little distracting for me to read the entire thing to you today. So I'm giving you homework. I want you this week to go home and read through Philippians chapter 1. Take some time with it this week. Maybe you read it every day. It's not a long chapter. It's really easy to easy read. But maybe as you read through it, you can start to allow God to speak to you through each one of these things. I always think it's great that we all come together and worship, but it's also incredible when we're able to worship individually, when we spend time with God throughout the week. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit more today. But let's jump in. You can follow along in your outline as we walk through these uh, 18 or so verses in Philippians chapter 1. If you want to find joy when things don't go according to plan, the first thing is this. Look beyond the circumstances to see what God is doing. Look beyond your circumstances to see what God is at work doing. Have you ever heard people say that, that tragedy comes in threes in your life? You know, like maybe one day your son puts a really nice big dent in the car and the next day you sprain your ankle and you're just waiting for day three because you know whatever it is, it's coming. This third thing is coming. Um, I think we all know that there's probably not a lot of reality in that, nothing scientific behind that. But why do we say things like that or believe things like that? Well, philosophers or psychologists say that uh, we may find ourselves drawn to a pattern of thinking like that because our goal is we want to get back to normal. We want things to get back to normal. So if we think it's going to take a third tragedy in order for us to get back to normal, then we're just waiting for that third tragedy so that maybe on the fourth day, life can resume and we can have some sense of normalcy. Well, if circumstances are, are in our lives, uh, we, we desire for them to be good. If we believe that the good circumstances bring smooth sailing, then we think that, well, if things are smooth in my life, then naturally I'm going to be able to be joyful when everything's going well. You know, I get past these three days of tragedy and then everything's going to be smooth. I'm going to be able to be joyful again. But the Bible tells us that's not true. That's not where joy comes from. It's just good circumstances or smooth sailing in our life. Most of us actually take it for granted when our circumstances are going smoothly and we just try to hurry through the tough stuff in our lives. And if we aren't careful, we spend most of our lives just trying to breeze or, or blow past the challenging things that we face and we miss out on what God could be doing behind the scenes in those really challenging things that we're facing that may actually grow us and bring joy to our lives in a different way than what we would expect. So when things don't go according to plan, how do we find joy when it seems that our joy has been interrupted? Well, that's what Paul, who's a follower of Jesus, wrote a lot about in the New Testament, and that's what he's writing about in this letter to the Philippians that we're taking a look at now. If you've ever felt like you've lived out that saying, no good deed goes unpunished, <laughs> uh, you would probably relate to the Apostle Paul. So just to give you a little flavor of who's writing this book, uh, we talked a little bit about Paul last week, but Paul was one of those guys who, after his transformation, which we'll talk about a little later, Paul worked really hard for the good of others. But often, even in the middle of when he was doing things to, to bless and help other people, People opposed him. They lied about him. They tried to kill him. His circumstances, he was shipwrecked. He found himself in, in prison so many times. Way too often, Paul's circumstances didn't go as planned. So when Paul writes what we're about to read, he's in Rome, and the people that he's writing to are in Philippi. So just to give you a little sense of that, in that time frame, that was about a two-month journey. Uh, to get from Philippi to Rome, or Rome to Philippi, took about two months. And a lot of it was on foot over some around things and, and some challenging terrain. And so it wasn't a quick journey. So Paul had actually visited with the Philippians before, and he was on his way back to them, and he wasn't able to get to them. Why wasn't he able to get to them? Because he was in prison in Rome for having shared his faith openly. And the Philippian church is worried about Paul because lots of them had discovered Jesus 
through Paul's uh, bringing the good news to them. So they're concerned about him. They're concerned uh, as to why he's not coming. And now as it turns out, uh, the prison that Paul was in had terrible Wi-Fi and his phone had no bars. So, I mean, you know what that's like. When you're worried about someone, you can't get a hold of them. You can't find out what's, what's going on in their life. So these are Paul's, these first verses that we're going to read in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, these are Paul's very personal words back to friends of his. Uh, he's kind of their spiritual father and their spiritual dad, and he wants them to know he's okay, even when his plans are unexpectedly interrupted. So this is what Paul writes. He said, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone in here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So saying that Paul's plans have not gone well is actually a bit of an understatement. If you're a traveling missionary and you're stuck somewhere in a prison with no hope of getting out or no understanding of when you might get out, that's a pretty big blow to your life purpose and passion because Paul's whole calling was centered on him going, being with people, introducing them to Jesus, returning to them, helping them grow in their faith, helping them understand what the church is really all about. And here he is, he's stuck in prison. So in spite of this, Paul doesn't write back and say, please pray that God gets me out of prison and makes my life pleasant again. That's probably what I would write. <laughs> like if I were writing and asking for prayer, I would be like, could you please pray that I get out of here as soon as possible so that I can get on with what I feel I'm called to do in life? He doesn't ask that of them at all. That's never his prayer request. As a matter of fact, what he actually writes kind of reveals his perspective. He doesn't even say, I'm chained to a prison guard. Rather, he says, the prison guards are chained to me. So you can look at Paul and see him as a bit of a glass half full guy because what he's really saying is, where, where does Paul's joy come from? His joy comes from taking a different look at his circumstances. He's saying, while I'm here and these guys are chained to me, I have the opportunity to share with them the good news about Christ. <laughs> so you know, it's not that I'm chained to them and I can't go. It's that they're chained to me and that they can't go. So they have this great opportunity to hear about Christ through me. Um, again, that's Paul's perspective. He's re-seeing his circumstance in a way that maybe we wouldn't have a tendency to see it. So Paul's joy didn't come from his circumstance. It clearly came from his relationship with God. He recognized that Jesus came into this world to rescue people who were doomed to a life apart from God. And this gave Paul purpose. He recognized that we can count on God to be at work behind the scenes doing something not only to demonstrate his love towards us, but also to help point others towards Jesus, that God is always working. No matter what your circumstances are, God is always working. Paul knew that. So you need to understand, this wasn't Paul's plan. This was a huge detour for him to be in prison. His plan was to stop by Rome on the way to Spain, where he'd preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, travel back to Philippi and other places. This was his plan. His plan was to preach in the churches of Rome, not to preach in, in the prisons of Rome. Have you ever had your life interrupted by a big detour? You know, sometimes those detours aren't a big deal. Um, but I remember uh, when I was, in, I was a teenager, and I was, we used to always love to go to the beach, especially later on. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but somehow our parents entrusted us to do this when we were older. They must have felt like... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We deceived them well enough to believe that this was a safe thing for us. But I can remember, we used to love to go to the beach. We only had one route that we went to the beach. We knew the way. This was before GPS or any nav or anything like that. So I remember one trip. We always, we loved the beach. We'd always plan beach trips so that how could you get in that extra day or afternoon? Like, if we leave at noon and we get there by four, well, we can still catch that, that end of that afternoon at the beach. And it was one of those times. And we were driving down uh, towards Ocean City, Maryland. And we always stayed in the same little campground a couple miles from the beach because it was really cheap. Throw up a few tents and have a great fun time at the beach. So we get, we're about 45 minutes away and one of the bridges is closed. And again, it just says detour and they're just sending people one way, or, you know, to the left or the right. And we had no idea. We just knew the way to get to the beach. We didn't have any maps. We were teenagers. Why would you have a map? Uh, so, you know, there we are. We're, we're, we're 45 minutes from the beach, and we don't have a clue where we're going. So, you know, how hard can it be? we got to head east, right? That's where the water is. So we just kept trying to find ways. And, and it, long story short, it was dark till we got there. So we get there. We missed that whole first day. Huge disappointment. Huge, uh, you know, kind of detour from our plan or our purpose. But Really, that was just a beach weekend. So, you know, it was kind of like, well, we missed the first day, but we'll have fun anyway. The challenge is when life throws us a detour, it's, the stakes are sometimes often higher. 
And the things that are at stake or the things that we miss or the things that we had planned or hoped for, when those things are taken away or we're, we're unable to accomplish them or unable to experience them, uh, there's a lot of pain that often goes with it. And all, a lot of times I think it's in those detoured moments that we really realize we're losing joy. We're just not really content with our lives. We're not really hopeful. Um, we're at a low place, especially the longer sometimes those detours last in life. Maybe you're stuck in a job and you don't like the job and you have to convince yourself to get up and go to work every day and even though it's the last place on the planet that you want to go. You might have made a decision that you regret and you're living with the consequences of that decision and you wish you could have a do-over but you can't take it back and all you can think about every moment is how bad the situation is and you're punishing yourself for the decision that you made. Maybe something that has happened or or someone else did something that hurt you and you're frustrated and you're confused and you're angry about it. Every time you look at the circumstance, you relive that hurt and that pain in your life. You know, you might not be able to change your circumstance and most of the time we can't change our circumstance. But we can change how we see the circumstance. We can change how we view it. We get to choose. Will I focus on how bad things are? Or will I look for what good things God might be doing behind the scenes, even though I can't see them clearly? There might be some way through this really bad circumstance that God's working for my good and he's working for the good of others through it. I just can't see it right now. You might have to ask, will I choose to discover joy in being part of God's steadfast love for me and for other people in this circumstance? Will I trust in his love and believe in him that he can make something good out of this or that there's something good planned through this challenging time? Will I choose maybe to demonstrate Christ-like character or share my faith with others through this challenging time? Will I choose to forgive or love someone or pray for someone who I might have never even given the time of day to, but because I'm in this circumstance, I see things differently than I would if life were moving along smoothly? Maybe I could even pray, God, would you help me to live the better story that you're writing through this circumstance that I'm walking through right now? Remember, joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Joy comes from our relationship with God. That's where joy comes from. And if we're willing to lay down our plans for our perfect little life, I mean, that kind of sounds a little trite when I say it, but the truth is we all have plans for what our perfect life would look like, don't we? They might not be detailed, but we kind of know what we would like our lives to look like. And if we're willing to lay down our plan for life to be perfect, then we can become open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the present circumstance that we find ourselves in even if we hate the place where we are. We can become open to God doing something in us or through us or because of this circumstance in the life of someone else that we may have never otherwise been able to see in our lives. We can be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this circumstance because we're inviting God's powerful presence into our lives in that moment and that can transform us. In fact, when things don't go according to plan, it is a great opportunity for us to model or share our faith in Christ by how we approach that moment, what kind of attitude and heart we have in that moment because people in our family, people who are around us in life, they're watching how do we respond when we're under pressure? How do we respond when things don't go the way that we desire? And maybe God will use that moment in your life to help someone else take a step towards Jesus or to help them discover transformation, a life-changing journey with Jesus as well. The bottom line is this. God's at work behind the scenes in tough circumstances, and we just have to look for how he is at work and then participate in it, partner with him in what he's doing instead of sitting in the place where we're staying. And when we do that, it gives us a glimpse of our lives from God's perspective that we might not otherwise know. So that's the first thing we see in Philippians 1. The second thing that we see in Philippians chapter 1 that Paul is saying is that when things don't go according to plan, number two, we can look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. We can look beyond the temporary to see the eternal. Things aren't always going to go according to plan, especially if things aren't always going to go according to our plan, right? Uh, You don't have to get so far along in life before you recognize I cannot plan and control everything in my life. Things are going to happen to me along the way. So uh, it's a difficult truth to get a hold of, but the reality is that, is that we have so much less control over our lives than we'd like to. Isn't that right? We just do. We have so much less control than we'd like to 
over things that happen to us and things that we would like to do in life as well. And sometimes, especially if we have a couple of tough things hit us at the same time, sometimes it's really easy for us to take on a victim mentality, isn't it? I mean, you go through a a couple of tough circumstances and you're just like, man, God, can you give me a break? Like, I just hit this. I'm hitting it over and over again. And every day I'm faced with the weight of this thing and I'm just struggling. Can you cut me some slack here? Or whether we don't direct it at God, maybe we just direct it inwardly and we're just inwardly frustrated and just like, man, my life is hard right now. The things that I'm facing are difficult and challenging and I want to wake up tomorrow and feel better, but I wake up tomorrow and I feel the same way that I felt yesterday and it hurts and I'm struggling and it's hard. And when we hit those situations, we do tend to want to jump into this mentality of, man, I am really a victim right now. How do I, I need some help from someone. So here's Paul. He's sitting in a Roman prison. And I want you to understand, in Rome at this particular time, human life is pretty cheap. Execution isn't given too much thought. If the prisons get too full, we just execute a bunch of people and then we have more space in the prisons. So Paul could be in prison for a long time or he could be executed at any point. And either one of those scenarios is a distraction from what he'd really love to be doing with his life in that moment and what he felt called to do. So I think it'd be pretty normal for Paul to get a little bit depressed over that. Don't you think it'd be pretty normal for Paul to take on a victim mentality? And yet Paul seems to know he's not a victim. Paul doesn't get stuck in depression in this moment. In fact, his words leading up to this next statement hold a lot of joy and excitement as he prepares his friends for what could happen at any time because Paul is writing to the Philippians telling them, I may not be alive tomorrow. I may never get to come to you again. So let me share with you what I want to share with you right now in this moment. And this is what he says in Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Some of you might know that in a, a different translation. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In New Living Translation, it says, For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Now, if you don't know Paul, you're likely to read that verse, to live is Christ and to die is even better. And and that might kind of be a, huh? Like, scratch your head moment. Like, I don't understand where he's coming from. But the key to understanding this verse is really understanding Paul's relationship with God. Because if you're here this morning and you aren't ready to trust God yet, Paul's attitude towards the circumstance that he was in might be a head-scratcher. It might be confusing to you. It might be something that seems a little strange and mysterious. But if you are here, and even once in your life, you've trusted yourself to God with something big, and God proved faithful, and you experienced a rich and rewarding relationship with him through a challenging season of your life, you probably read those words differently and hear those words differently. Paul sees his circumstances through this lens of loving God deeply and being loved deeply by God. He understands how his joy in life isn't connected to his present circumstances, but how his joy in life is really connected to his eternal circumstances. One of the things that I really love about our church family is I love that we're a church family that shares our stories. And I've learned from so many of you, people who share your story along the way of how God was working through challenging circumstances, even if you couldn't see it, even if you didn't want to embrace it, but that there came a point where you put your confidence and your trust in him and it made all the difference. And your life is different because your trajectory has changed because God did a work in you that was so transformational in a season when you were struggling and so needing to be dependent on him that it just changed everything for you. I want to encourage you this week. We're going to hear one of those stories a little later this morning, but I want to encourage you this week. If you're here and you call yourself a Christian or you call yourself a follower of Jesus, to live your life with that kind of trust and confidence in him this week. Dig out Philippians chapter 1 this week. Sit in your Bible this week. Spend time in God's presence and let him remind you of his faithfulness in your life, of how his eternal perspective is so different from just the perspective that you may have on your circumstance in this moment. There are three things in the second point, just so we're clear. There are three things that if you pull out your Bible this week and you read Philippians chapter 1, there are three things that you're going to see real clearly. And I'm just going to run through them really quickly with you. But I want to go over them so that you can sit in them this week. So this is three things under point two. Hang on. We're going to go real quick. Here we go. The first thing is this. Paul says, we need a lifetime commitment to love and serve Jesus. 
It's emphasized the whole way through the chapter. We need a lifetime commitment to love and serve Jesus. That's where we get this sense from him of for, for me to live as Christ and for me to die as gain or it would even be better. We need to be more committed to Jesus and helping people to be changed by Jesus. We need to see that, this lifetime commitment to Christ, as every bit as important as our retirement account, our career that we uh, are in right now, or our kids and all of their, their events who we sometimes worship ahead of Jesus. If we want to make an impact on our world, it's not going to happen through just Sunday Christianity when we go to church. If we want to make an impact on our world, it's going to happen through a lifetime commitment to Jesus that day by day is lived out because we know who's our source and we know who we're dependent on for life. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. It takes a desire to be with Jesus. And Paul writes about this. He says, if I'm going to go on living in this body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. He says, this is my commitment to serving Jesus. If they don't kill me and I can keep on doing what I'm called to do, then that's great. Because then I get to live out what God has called me to do. But he goes on to say, I'm torn between the two because I also desire to part and be with Christ. So he's saying, if I die, that's gain because then I get to be with Jesus too. If I stay here, I get to be with Jesus and carry out my mission in the world. If I die and they kill me, then I get to go be with Jesus forever. And that's really good. So I'm kind of torn between these two things. This is Paul's perspective, his eternal perspective. And there's an important distinction here that I want you to catch. A theologian named N.T. Wright brings this out. He says, if you ask a first century Christian where they would go after they die, they probably wouldn't say heaven. And this is the answer that Paul gives right here. When asked where he would go when he died, he said, I'd be with Christ. I'd be with Christ. In fact, that was the expression or the desire of people during the Roman Empire, uh, people who were Christians and who were persecuted during the Roman Empire. They would say, I want to go with be, be with Jesus if I die. I get to be with Jesus. It wasn't simply, I'm going to go to heaven someday and experience a perfect utopia for eternity where all of my needs are met and people feed me grapes and I, you know, whatever that is for you. It's not that message that Paul's communicating here at all. Heaven isn't about you getting to have per perfect experience and yes, it will be free from pain. Yes, it will be full of joy. But all of those things are true because you are present with Jesus forever. That's what makes them true. That's the hope of heaven is not just that there's some incredible place that God prepared for me. There's some incredible place that God prepared for me that's going to mean I'm going to be in his loving, awesome presence forever. That's the heart of the gospel. I want to, and, and this is the second part of that. Not only do I get to be with Christ forever, but the gospel is also, I want, as many, I want to take as many people there with me as possible. That was Paul's heart. He said, I want to be with Jesus, and I want as many people to experience being with Jesus as well. More than anything, that's what Paul wanted. And Paul developed this mentality through spending time with Christ himself. I want you to remember, how was Paul transformed? He used to be Saul, and then he was on the road to Damascus. He used to kill Christians, and then he's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus shows up in this vision, and he's blinded. But Jesus speaks directly to him. And I believe after that moment that Paul spent a lot of time in the presence of Jesus as he continued on in ministry. And it gave him this incredible perspective. He saw life differently than the way we often are tempted to see life. The more time that you and I spend with Jesus in his presence, the more that we discover joy in his presence. The more time that we spend in the presence of God, the more dependent we, come, we become on God as our source. The more our life is lived with his perspective and less of ours, the more we find true joy because it's not founded in just what circumstance we're walking through at the time. It's founded in the person of Christ who's unchanging and who's with us always. The third thing is this. This is the third thing in point two. <laughs> it also takes an unselfish love for others. Paul went on and he said this, yet it's more necessary for me to remain on for you and convinced of this, I know I'll remain, continuing for your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul's actually saying, I don't think I'm gonna be killed because I think God has more work for me to do. And I, that work is for your sake. It's not for mine. Sometimes I look at my life and I, when I think about recently my wife's uh, grandfather passed and he had lived a great life. He uh, graduated to heaven at 93 years old. Um, but when you, I did his, memorial, his funeral service just a week or so ago. And you know, when I'm preparing for a funeral service like that or a memorial service, I'm thinking about that person and the investment that they made. And a lot just becomes real for you in life. You start to really think through your own life and think, what's the legacy I want to leave? And God, how, would you, how do you want to use me in this life? 
And sometimes I look at my life and I think, well, I'd like to stay in this world. Um, there's a lot of things that I would, I would like to do. I, in some ways, I think I would like to live to be 93 years old and, and benefit from that kind of impact on people's lives. And, and um, there's just a lot of things I'd like to accomplish. I also think of it from the perspective of, well, if I stay here longer, Lord, maybe you'd allow me to make a greater impact. And so if you want to keep me on the planet longer so that I can make a greater impact, so be it. But there's something that Paul says here that really turns that whole line of thinking just in a different direction. He says, I'd like to stay in this world not just so I could do more. I'd like to stay in this world so that you could do more. He's really clear as he's writing from prison that I think God wants to keep me on the planet in order for you to take steps forward, in order for me to come and invest in you and bless you so that your life can be more rich and meaningful and full and so that heaven can be populated in an even greater way. That's a pretty big switch. When things aren't going according to your plan or according to my plan, can we honestly say, God, can you use me in this circumstance to make an impact on someone else? Or are we so consumed with how that circumstance is impacting us that we can't even think about how God might want to be using that circumstance in our life in order to have impact in the life of someone else? Paul knew his life wasn't about him. Paul knew his life wasn't just about him being happy or him being satisfied. He knew his life was about living for others and loving others because joy, as Paul knew, didn't come from his circumstance. It came from his relationship with God. And you may want to ask yourself this morning, am I growing in my love for God and in my love for others right now? Am I growing and deepening in my love for God and my love for other people? Because if we're not, it's probably a pretty good indicator that our focus is set on what's temporary and our focus isn't set on what's eternal. And we can ask God and say, God, will you help me get my eyes on what's important and what's eternal? Help me to focus on loving you and loving others so I can have your perspective on my current situation. The final thing we're going to look at this morning is this. When things don't go according to plan, look beyond the bad news to see the good news. When things don't go according to plan, look beyond the bad news in your life in order to see the good news. You've heard the bad news, good news jokes, right? The doctor says to the patient, do you want the good news or the bad news? The patient says, I'll take the good news. The doctor says, okay, the good news is you have 24 hours to live. The patient says, well, how is that good news? The doctor says, well, the bad news is I've been trying to call you since yesterday. I'm sure that you guys have all heard jokes like this. How you break bad news to other people. Stuff like, well, the good news is we finally have the swimming pool that we've always wanted. The bad news is it's in our basement right now, so we got to clean that up. The point of all those jokes is that the bad news always overwhelms the good news in the end. It's kind of what's funny about the joke. It's like saying, all right, the, the bad news, we're going to take a look at the good side, but really the bad news is pretty bad. When things don't go your way, Paul encourages us in this. When, when things aren't going our way, he says, we got to live beyond our current bad news and remember that we're living out God's good news through our lives. Look at verse 27. It says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So we're living with an eternal perspective, conducting our lives in a manner that's worthy of the good news about Christ. The truth of this life is that when I trust myself, when I ask Christ to be my forgiver, and when I ask him to lead my life, the good news is, that the good news is always going to overwhelm the bad news. When you're a Christian, the good news will always overwhelm the bad news. Paul says, to live is to live for Christ. To die is to gain. When you have that perspective on life, there really is no bad news. There's always good news if God's at work, uh, working for the good. And if we trust those promises that God tells us over and over again throughout Scripture, that he's at work... Uh, he who began a good work at you is faithful to complete it, that God is at work through our circumstances, creating good through the challenges of our lives. The good news as a Christ follower is that the good news always overwhelms the bad because the good news is so much bigger. And we might feel really like the bad news is slapping us in the face in the circumstance that you're in right now, but it's never the end of the story. As a Christ follower, it's just temporary bad news for you. But that's actually good news in our story, and here's why. The bad news might become an important moment in our story where God does something so good that we actually become thankful for the bad news. We actually become thankful for what we had to walk through because we experienced God's goodness so powerfully on the other side of it. 
That's really hard to see when we're going through it. But if we can open our eyes, God says, I have good for you. I'm your heavenly father. I have good in store for my children. That's my purpose in this life for you. The truth, that God is, the truth is that God is always at work for our good and for the good of others. The truth is that Jesus proved this to be true through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. The truth is that we are loved by God and that he offers us a place in his forever family where we can be secure and receive his promises as his children. And that's what gives our life meaning. This is the good news that always outweighs the bad news for us as Christians. I want you to watch uh, the story of a member of our Daybreak family. His name's Kevin, and Kevin's here this morning. Thanks, Kevin, for sharing your story with us. Uh, Kevin's one of our worship leaders, and you may recognize him when the video comes on. But I got to tell you, Kevin went through about 25 years of really, really bad circumstances in his life. And this is a story of how God used that to help him be able to understand that God was working for good and that the good news can always outweigh the bad if you're a Christ follower. Let's watch together. Uh, as a young man, I'd say around the age of uh, 14 or so, I really felt God calling me to love others with all of my heart. And around that time, uh, my mom and dad gave me a heart-shaped silver box. And in that box is a small note reminding me to always use the gifts or any gifts that God has given me for Him. And inside the box are uh, fragrant uh, flower petals. And what they do is signify our praises to God, the fragrant praise that comes from our hearts. So I started getting into music more and uh, doing some singing. Um, and uh, I think that's when my heart really jumped. And I found, wow, Lord, I think this is the direction you're calling me. It's about in 1988-89 uh, uh, that things really started to change. Uh, I began to struggle with persistent illness. Uh, I would get colds, strep throats, uh, fatigue. Uh, I think one of the symptoms that saddened me most was I began to lose a lot of my vocal power, uh, my tone. I started to struggle with a really dry mouth. So a lot of this didn't fit with this thought I had in my head of I want to do what God wants me to do and I thought I knew what God's plan was. For the next 20 years I went to doctor after doctor in various states, ran what felt like hundreds of tests and we just couldn't find one definitive answer. And my heart started to change. What I now know today is that it really was a lie from Satan. It, it was the devil's lie. I genuinely, genuinely felt that I was losing God's favor. That for some reason, because of disobedience in the past, because of sinful events that happened in my life in the past, that for some reason God had said, you know what, you're not good enough to serve me. And I let that lie creep into my heart. And when that happened, I slowly let go. I let go of the dreams. I let go of calling for God's spirit, of being sensitive to God's spirit. And I started to pursue things on my own for my own ends and to do what I thought would be good for for Kevin. So what happened was I started seeking jobs. I interviewed well. I was, uh, it was easy for me to meet, meet people. I tend to be a real people person. Uh, I, I still loved people. So getting jobs wasn't a really hard thing. But keeping jobs became really hard. And because of my illnesses and because of the, the way I felt, I, I, would, I would work and work and work and weeks would, would go by, months would go by, 
and every single job I would crash. I would lose job after job after job because I couldn't show up. I couldn't be there. I couldn't do the job that I was hired for. And in a lot of ways, I began to exaggerate who I was. I would try to cover up the reality of what I was going through, the reality that I was not seeking God anymore. I was turning my uh, back to Him, really. I didn't, I would, I was questioning my faith. And during that time, I felt so lost, so alone, and so upside down that I completely let go. But God held on. And through my disobedience, through my unbelief, through my frustrations, even through that, there was this undertone, there was this calling of him saying, come back to me, come back to me. I love you more than you will ever know. <laughs> and I made you, especially for me and for my purposes, and I will see you through. And he absolutely did. For about 10 years, it was very difficult for me to even vocalize, uh, to be involved with any kind of music, uh, any kind of praise, any kind of worship. Um, I would try to sing through a song, maybe get through half of it, and I just didn't have the strength. But I really think that that was a time that God was silencing me. I think he was preparing my heart, softening it, allowing me to experience him for who he really is. It's about six months after that time, give or take, uh, that Sue Schreiner came up to me out of the blue in church and contacted me and said, Kevin, what do you think about coming back to worship team? I hadn't been on worship team for over 10 years. <laughs> and uh, as, all, all, as all of this was going on, and uh, I was kind of taken back because I remember sitting in church week after week and singing along with uh, during worship and feeling that, Lord, I know my heart song was at that place at one time, and I still feel that calling, Lord, and even more so now because I feel like I know that you love me. I know that I'm cherished by you. I know that you are the salvation of my heart and everything that I am is wrapped up in who you are and how much you love me. And I wanted to share that. I wanted to sing those praises so badly. But that human side was holding me back. The human side saying, I don't know if I can really do it. I'm not sure if I can sing through these songs anymore. But in acting in obedience to God, I said yes, took that step. And I have to say to this day, there is no place I would rather be than with my family at Daybreak Church, spending time worshiping God. In 2015, I went to yet again another doctor took yet again more tests, more blood tests, and really I didn't think anything was going to come of it. But we found an answer. I was diagnosed with chronic Q fever, which is a very rare disease. And the doctor found out that I had also had Lyme for a really long time, and it had never been treated. I had never been treated for either one. So to finally find an answer for something that went on for over 25 years made my heart jump. I thanked God, I praised God, I said, thank you so much, I'm, I'm so happy that we finally figured this out. But something else happened. I always thought that when we found the answer, that I would 
take a pill or have a surgery or get some kind of therapy and I would be absolutely fine. Not so. Unless God in his providence decides to heal me, which I 100% firmly believe God can heal me. I've prayed, I've asked God, please heal me. Uh, but for his reasons, he has decided to allow these symptoms, uh, these limitations, these earthly limitations that I have to stay put. I still do grieve the loss of a healthy body for 25 years. And I have to still work through that on a uh, daily basis. But the end of that journey has been worth everything to finally understand what God wants me to do. To know the depth of God's love for me. That through it all, He pursued me. He loved me. He still loves me today and that I was able to find my identity in God. It was worth every single struggle. The mornings are still so hard, and the days and weeks are long and filled with earthly limitations and pain. But I still have Him. He is my victory, and I finally know what the message in that little silver box really means. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. My life's been impacted by God's authentic joy coming through you. I want you to listen to this amazing statement that Paul makes amidst all of these bad circumstances that he's in. In verse 29, he says this, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Would you underline that? You've not only been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but you've been given the privilege of suffering for him. That's the way Paul saw his sufferings. That was how he was able to refocus and reframe. It's a privilege for me to suffer for Christ. We're all, we are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the middle of it. Look, here's the good news. The good news is that we never have to be confused by suffering in our lives again. If we see suffering as a means to discover that God's loving kindness is always greater than our suffering, then we can see our suffering as a privilege because we understand that God never gives up on us or on the people that we love. So we find God loving us in the middle of the tragedies of our stories. We're experiencing his love and we find ourselves being able to love him back and love other people in the midst of the struggles that we're going through. That's experience God, experiencing God's perspective on our suffering and experiencing his joy. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? The privilege this morning of suffering is in what God does in us, in our suffering. The privilege is in what God does through us because of our suffering. And the privilege is in us experiencing the miracle of what God and God alone can do through the difficulties in our life because joy doesn't come from our circumstance. Joy comes through our relationship with God. You know, you and I this morning, we don't get to choose our circumstances, but we get to choose how we see them. And we get to choose whether or not we're going to focus on the bad or on the good, if we're going to trust ourselves or wait for a different circumstance or whether we're going to trust in God. We get to choose how our lives point the way to others who maybe have never experienced God's joy or never experienced being deeply loved by God, never surrendered to that. What if this morning we could look at our current circumstances and bring them into God's presence this morning and ask him to help us re-see our struggles, re-see our detours, re-see our circumstances the way that he does? And what if God's perspective brought this mysterious joy into our heart that we can't explain because we're still struggling, but somehow God's given us a new perspective? I think that'd be transformational. Would you pray this with me this morning? If that's where you are, Jesus, would you help me to re-see my circumstances? Would you help me to live out this truth that joy doesn't come from my circumstances? It comes from you, God, through your spirit who indwells me. 
And wherever I find myself this morning, God, may I be reminded that I'm not alone, that you're right here with me, and that I can trust you as you are at work in my circumstances, both for my good and for the good of others as well. Help us, Lord. Help us to have impact, even in the seasons of struggle in our lives, by the way that we choose to live and through our trust in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple ways to respond as we get ready to wrap up this morning, but I want you to sit with this for a minute. If you're here and you've been detoured and this whole morning has just been right on for you and you know it, you know you're in a season of suffering and struggling because life has gone away that you didn't want it to go. Your plan has been derailed. You've been detoured. If that's you this morning, there's a couple of ways I want to encourage you to respond. First of all, you can take your response card out and you can write a prayer request on there and we would love to pray with you about that. Even if your prayer request is, I don't want to detail my whole circumstance, I just need God's perspective. I need to re-see the way I've been seeing this circumstance that I'm in. Whatever your prayer request might be, write that on your card and we'd love to pray for you and pray with you this week. We're going to open up the opportunity just for the last few minutes of the service. In the back corner back here, our prayer partners are in the back. Uh, We want to give you the chance if there's someone that you just need to pray, you just need someone today here present to pray for you and pray with you in the midst of whatever you're facing, please feel free in the next song or two to head back to the back corner. Someone will sit, they'll listen to you, they'll pray with you and pray for you this morning. The final thing, though, relates to this reflection question. And this is kind of what I really want to leave you with today to process and to think about What are some circumstances in your life in which God has proved himself faithful regardless of how you felt? And like I said here, if you're here today and you're new to trusting God, maybe your prayer request today is, God, I just need to trust you for the first time. I need to trust my life with you and I need to trust you as my forgiver and as as my leader. And that's a big step today. But if you're here and you, you know, even if you have to go all the way back to whenever the day was that you gave your life to Christ and you remember the mess that you were in that place, And you just need to say today, God, you've been faithful before. I can't see it right now where I am. But I trust that you're going to be faithful again. That you're going to do it again. You're going to be God in this circumstance that I'm in. I can't see it. It's hard right now, but I'm trusting you. If that's where you are today, the answer to that is sitting in God's presence. It's just taking these next few moments and saying, God, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to declare my trust in you and I'm going to allow your presence to bring joy into my life today in this moment. Let's take these next few moments. However, God is leading you. Respond to God and feel free to join in and worship as you do.